0: What's up everybody? This is Fred Ricciani. I have right here on the line a very special guest. This man is an entrepreneur. He is an award-winning rep, manager, producer, you name it. He's got so many job titles we can't even keep up. He's worked with some of the biggest names in Hollywood and the entertainment industry, including Spike Lee. We are talking to one of the founders of Alta Global Media, Stephen Adams. Stephen, thank you so much for taking the time to do this interview. How are you? I'm feeling great,
1: man. Thank you for that great intro.
0: Hey, like, who, yeah. is, who is that guy? <laughs> hey, I do what I can. I looked at your resume. I was like, man, all right, I, I, I better bring it for uh, this one. <laughs> so, uh, you've had a, a, an incredible journey. For people that aren't familiar with you, mean, um, you've done almost everything under the sun in the entertainment industry. But before we dive into your your background, your journey, and everything else, uh, what are you guys currently working on at Alta Global Media?
1: Right now we're we're we are in the you know this is the sales season so we're we're pushing a bunch of new series out so we're we're collaborating on on about about six or eight series that we're put on the market right now so we're very excited about the outcome of that these are all shows that we think are really exciting for the market they're they're in they're international. Um, very fresh, and that's about all I can say about them right now because I can't give too much away. But you know we have some great partners on these projects, and I'm feeling very optimistic.
0: What would you say was like your first big break in Hollywood, and when did you realize that long term you wanted to do your own thing?
1: Okay, that's a crazy I'm gonna give you a crazy answer to that because you know as a child, I always wanted to be in Hollywood. I was a uh, I was in in elementary school. I made a short film in the sixth grade. And in middle school, I was a film festival judge for three years. And in high school, I made a full feature with my cinematography class. So in my mind, I was always grooming and ready to come to Hollywood. Then my father said, no, absolutely not. You are going to go into business and that's what you're going to do. And being a good and obedient son, I tried very hard to do this. I um, wound up going into banking and finance for, for several years. And I was living in the San Francisco Bay Area and I... Uh, I literally did this until one day I woke up and I was, you know, working at this global growth fund, and I was like kid finance, and you know all this, you know, no, you know all this, you know, international fluctuation of currency and all this stuff, <laughs> which was interesting to me. I did like it a lot, um, but I knew there was some other part of what I wanted to do with myself and my creative impulses that was never going to be fulfilled there, um, and so I just quit my job, and I wound up getting a job in my favorite restaurant as uh, my strategy. And I called my dad, and I said, you know, I, I've made a decision to leave, you know, finance, and I've, I've quit my job. Because, well, so, what are you doing? I said, well, I've, I got a job in my favorite restaurant. He's like, so, you you've quit being an executive, and you're now going to be a waiter. And I'm like, well, actually, I'm going to be a busboy because I don't know how to be a waiter. So I wound up, I wound up really humbling myself and and start started being a waiter. And but the the thing the thinking behind that was that I would meet people, and I did meet people. I met people from all these. Uh, theatrical shows. Uh, I met people who were stripping and people who were in rock and roll bands, And I got this weird little education and I wound up finding my way to Hollywood. And that was, that was, that's what happened. So it was, it was one of those crazy like rolls of the dice. And here I am.
0: It's pretty amazing. We cover a lot of combat sports. I've interviewed a lot of wrestlers and you'd be surprised like how many guys say, yeah, I broke into business because I was a bouncer and somebody recognized me and liked my look and I networked. And all of a sudden they, they hired me and, yeah, I mean, the rest is history. That's, that's pretty crazy. Uh, so it's like you
1: just in, have to crowd, you just have to crowd surf your way into your your destination. Whatever's so, going to happen is going to
0: happen. Wow. So so at the time, I mean, did you think like, hey, you know? Let me let me try going through an internship route, and then that didn't work out, and then you decided to be a busboy, or was there like kind of no manual or set path or precedent at that time? Well,
1: the point of that was not it wasn't as, it wasn't as vague as that. But the point of that was to regain my time, and so what I did was start networking. I mean, we're talking about pre you know social media era, <laughs> so I had to you know I had to meet people, I had to work it. So I I started you know volunteering on. Uh, uh, film sets, on uh, uh, community television shows, I started meeting people. And, and you know, as I got ready to make my decision to go to either New York or L.A., uh, I gave, I decided to go to L.A. and I gave a going away, a few going away parties. And I told people, you know, whoever you know in L.A., bring them, you know, whoever you know that's in show business, bring them. And it, it started to work. And this girl showed up at the party and said, I'm working in a casting office and we know a lot of people. So when you come to L.A., you know, give me a call. And so I gave her a call. And two weeks later, I was working at a talent agency. So it just happened like that.
0: So you worked at a talent agency. Uh, From what I understand, too, you were also an executive producer at a company that specialized in visual effects.
1: Yeah, but well, you know, the Salon agency was my first job, my first real job in entertainment. I was there for two years and then I got an offer to go work at a management company where I got to work with people like Lawrence Fishburne, Eric Stoltz and Blair Underwood and David Caruso, people like, you know, people like that. And, uh, that was pretty amazing. And then years later, I wound up working with the visual effects company in Paris. Uh, it's called Booth. You'll know their work from things like the matrix. They invented the bullet effect and, uh, they're pretty amazing.
0: That's pretty incredible. And I believe they also worked on several other films like Green Lantern, uh, Thor, you know, the, the list kind of goes on and on. At that time when you were there, did you kind of realize that, wow, this whole superhero slash sci-fi genre is is really growing? And could you foresee it growing the way it has up to this point where not I mean, only now is it like a huge, expanding multiple franchises across Marvel, DC, et cetera, but the, the comic convention scene is just insane now.
1: Yeah, I mean the, the interesting thing about it was that I well to back up a little bit, I got that job because I was I speak French and I and I've always had an international aspect to my work. Um, you know, I represent, uh, I've always represented or worked with or consulted with international companies and international talent. And so you know, and I and I used to bring people to the Cannes Film Festival and, and, and promote them and connect them to people from around the world. And that's how I got on the radar of this French VFX house, and they were like you got to come do this for us. And, you know, you know they—they they were their, their work is legendary. I mean, if you've seen, for example, the latest uh, Blade Runner, all that work in the uh, casino is their stuff. All those holograms is theirs. They invented that those crazy numbers on the Matrix movies and the bullet effect. I mean, they're tremendous. And, you know, I didn't know anything about visual effects, but I wanted to take the leap into working on studio films. And it was a great point of entry. So I learned, I had to, again, humble myself and learn a whole new world of things I knew nothing about. It. I had a great eye for it, but I didn't have the vocabulary, I didn't understand the technical aspects or any of that. It was a whole new education. And, but, you know, once I kind of got it all together, I went out and landed a sequence on Avatar that we did half the effects on the original Thor, uh, you know, great sequence in Life of Pi. Dark Knight, Dark Shadows, Green Lantern, Green Hornet. We had a hell of a run. And no, I mean, that was 13 years ago when I started. And it was already a big deal. But I didn't know, I don't think anybody knew that it was going to become like this omniverse that it is now. It's crazy.
0: So would you say that, especially when it comes to the entertainment industry, you really got to get comfortable with the idea of being uncomfortable if you want to grow?
1: I would absolutely agree with that. I think the the biggest, if anybody tells you they're an expert, you might as well just turn your back on them. Because, <laughs> All we can say is we have a lot of experience, but everything, because we're in a, we're in a business that's kind of alive and it changes every three to five years, sometimes faster. You don't know what, you know, you just have to take all your experience, your prior experience and apply it to the new situation. 10 years ago, we weren't even talking about streaming networks and now they're dominating, you know, and, you know, you know, Netflix wasn't even occupying the sphere of a very short time ago. So, you've had to, we have, we have to adjust to all that that brings to the table now.
0: And what did you decide to kind of strike out on your own form Alta Global Media, which not only represents actors, but also specializes in, in marketing and in financing as well. I mean, it's certainly not a monolith. I mean, it's kind of like a mini empire. You're, you're growing there and having a lot of success in recent years. When did you decide, you know what, now's the time for me. I have this contact space. I have all this knowledge. This is the time for me to strike out my own.
1: Well, in in full disclosure, you know, I've been on my own for a while. I guess I've made deals with companies and people over the years, but I've always sort of had my own entity within those things. So, it's so would really you wild.
0: say? Oh, I'm sorry to interrupt. So, would you say that you, that more accurately, rather than working for some of somebody's company, you've worked with these companies?
1: Yes. Okay. I've made gotcha. Great partnerships with them, and so I. But I recently renamed the company Alta Global Media because I wanted to kind of reflect. The moment we're not really talking about film or television, everything is sort of media now, mm-hmm. and you know it—it it, it just kind of grasps all these multiple platforms. And I wanted to put the global name out there up front and center because that's our signature.
0: You've worked a lot when it comes to like international shows, international rights. Uh, in in some cases, in, in certain countries, it's actually better for filmmakers, producers, companies to film their movies there than it is here in the states. Like I'll just give you an example. Like I know somebody who. Produces all kinds of shows in Canada, not just because they live there, but because the government actually helps fund the production uh, of those yes. films. So can you just talk about the differences between producing, creating content in the United States as opposed to, say, Canada or any other country?
1: Yeah, I think that, you know, when you look, especially when you talk about like a studio film, uh, the studios are always looking for ways to save money. And, you know, they're, they're beholden to a board and, and investors, which people forget. Uh, uh, so, you know, for example, if you were shooting something on like a sound stage, you might choose to do it in Morocco if they had the right, the right, uh, facility. Uh, and they have they have a t- great tax incentives there. You might choose Canada for production incentives and, or post-production incentives like the visual effects world, which since, you know, I started all the European companies have opened, uh, branches in Montreal and, and mostly Montreal to take care, to take advantage of those tax incentives. You might uh, wind up in South Africa, if that works for you, because those incentives are very interesting. And, you know, the, the, relatively speaking, the dollar sometimes goes further in some countries. So, you know, there's, there's many, many ways, but it's gotta be the location being appropriate to the story and then the incentives all making sense.
0: With the world uh, of streaming, I'm sure it's changed the economics for sure of film and TV uh, but at the same time, on the positive side, it's also kind of made the world a little bit smaller. Like some of the most popular yeah. shows right now are kind of Spanish language shows or, or different language shows. You know, what I mean, I remember back in the day, like Old Boy was such a hit, and it's like, wow, uh, the movie with with subtitles is, is so big, and it's like, no, it's a great film. And nowadays, everything's so accessible. You actually happen to rep two actors from Money Heist. Of course, there's the success of, of Narcos as well, and. Uh, some other international TV shows. Can you just kind of talk about how streaming has kind of made the world smaller and in some ways, I guess, kind of made people more open to uh, non-English language shows? Yeah, I think you're right. I
1: mean, you put your finger on it. I think Narcos was the show that really taught the industry that audiences were not as, as uh, uh, provincial and closed-minded as they presumed them to be, that people were always open to far more than they gave them credit for. Then you got the Netflix effect where people, uh, because this, you know, because you you can you can get shows from all around the world, uh, your taste can be, this algorithm can start, you know, correlating to your taste. So suddenly, you, you know, you might get this Korean show in your queue and you're like, hmm, let me take a look at that. And then something from India, then something from, you know, Mexico. And before you know it, you know, you're a fan of these shows. The number one show on Netflix right now is a show called Fauda. And Fauda is in Hebrew and Arabic. You know, it's like the whole world loves this show. And number two is Money Heist, which was originally conceived of as a local language Spanish show that got bought by Netflix, set on that network, you know, simmered on the back burner and found its own or audience organically and then, you know, became this crazy juggernaut that it is right now. And yes, I am very excited and proud to represent uh, Luca Peros and Pedro Alonso from that show.
0: You've also had the opportunity to work with, with the, the legendary director, Spike Lee. I'd love if you could talk a little bit about your, your work with him. And a question as well about that Do you feel that in telling some of these Black stories on Netflix and, and, and other mediums, it's more important than ever, not just because of where we're at as, as a country, but also because of, unfortunately, Politically, the suppression of a lot of Black history in schools and colleges.
1: Well, yeah, I mean, I think that you know, it's an interesting comment that you're making because I think that it comments on the the structure of the United States, which is that it was built for you know some people, not for others. Others were put brought here to serve. Let's be honest, and so their stories weren't really seen as important until very recently. And I think it's important for everybody, whoever they are, to integrate all these stories together into the into a more accurate. Take on what's gone on here in the last five hundred years. I'm actually waiting for the Native American stories to start really happening because that's the that's the erasure that's really uh, I think so so extreme that we don't even contemplate it. But you know, there were Native Americans from the Atlantic to the Pacific, and we got to start recognizing that.
0: When do you think we're finally going to kind of move past a lot of these typecasts and, and stereotypes? Do you do you think that that's and I'm talking about in, in general for any non. Uh, non-white roles do you think we're already kind of moving in that direction or do you still think there's a lot of work to be done
1: there's a lot of work to be done but let's but let's let's i mean hollywood's always dealt in stereotypes even with white people so (laughs) you know you've got to you've got to break a lot of them down in general i think that we've 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 come to a point where we're acknowledging how powerful the images are that come out of hollywood in a way that we didn't i think it was easy to dismiss it even when it was influential um when you look at the first film that was shown in the White House which was Birth of a Nation mm-hmm. you know this film led to a resurgence in the Ku Klux Klan and so it is it has always demonstrated its power and that was in 1917 by the way so I mean we've always we've that medium has always been more powerful than anybody ever you know, allows themselves to believe. Now I think we understand that. So I think that yeah, the imagery of this irresponsible imagery about other ethnicities, about genders, you know, women have had a difficult time being objectified or, you know, subject to violence. All this has got to be broken down or put back in the hands of the people who are perpetrating it. So there's a there's a lot of work to be done. But I think it's, you know, we've got to also open the gates to creators who can give you these voices. It can't all be the traditional, uh, uh, creators of Hollywood. It's got to open up to everyone
0: Uh, on the lighter note. I'd like to ask you some kind of rapid fire, kind of random questions. Just, we like to ask all our guests some different varying questions so people can get to know them better. Are you ready? Yeah, I'm ready. All right. What is a day in the life like of Steven? Woo too early and too late. (laughs) (laughs) What's your favorite part of the day? What's your most annoying part of the day?
1: Well, the, I'm not a morning person, but I get up really early. So I would say the morning is probably my most annoying.
0: Agreed. <laughs> and, <laughs> and what's the best part of your day? You know, the best part of the day is when you win something that you've been working on.
1: Because as I was saying earlier, we work so damn hard. But, you know, it's like sometimes there are these little victories and, you know, it's, it, you know it keeps us going
0: what would you say is your career defining moment up to this point or, or a moment that you're, you're really proud of? Like if just something, if I, if I saw an elevator we're chatting and I said, Hey Steven, what are you most proud of? What, what comes to mind first for you?
1: Well, I would say the first thing that comes, comes to my mind is the fact that I'm still here. <laughs> <laughs> so the endurance that it takes to, you know, stay in this business, you know, but I, but you know, some great moments were like winning Peabody for a Huey P. Newton story with Spike Lee. That was, that was amazing. You know, Walter Cronkite, who was still alive, gave us that award wow that's goals crazy
0: that's fantastic I knew it was crazy when it was happening
1: it wasn't like I had to look back I'm like this is surreal
0: that's some good life advice be present especially when you're getting an award from Walter freaking Cronkite
1: I know I'm like wait what because I bet some people don't know who that is but you look him up (laughs) Mm -hmm. yeah you'll understand
0: other than finance was there any other direction you ever thought about taking had it not been for Hollywood?
1: No, but, but you know, the interesting thing is that the finance strand wound up being very important to me. I mean, my father was not all wrong. I mean, this is a business, right? And I, the, I, what I quickly realized is a lot of people waste time here trying to turn it into a fantasy when in fact it's as much of a business as anything else. So you need to have the same rigorous mindset that you would if you were selling, you know, telephones or or, or cars. You need to. Everything needs to make sense. Everything needs to make money, and everything needs to have a return on investment. So your mind's got to be on that point. So all that, all those years actually helped me to, you know, get my, you know, what together.
0: You want to know your stuff before you get to a negotiating table, whether you're working for somebody, working with somebody, whatever the case may be.
1: Sure. I mean, look if you're if you're a, if you let's say an independent film cost a million bucks, right? And you're, you' but you can't even handle your own finances and you want someone to give you a million bucks you got to think about how they're going to look at you you know that and, and it's true a lot of investors say great show me your your personal finances and if you're like oh I'm 50 grand in debt and I've got bill collectors calling me you're not a good risk how are you gonna handle a million bucks if you can't handle you know whatever you're handling right now so I would say that for any aspiring filmmaker get your act together
0: what would you say is your most awkward moment on the job? <laughs> a moment you wish you could maybe take back or, or that makes for a great story of parties. Oh God, there's
1: probably so many of them.
0: <laughs> <sighs> well,
1: you know, early in my career, I went to a very fancy party and, uh, had probably too many drinks and went singing five songs. What one would have probably, I mean, I mean, you know, five drunken songs at a piano. And I won't tell you who was there. Cause you know, I, I lived it down, but it was, I'm just glad it wasn't. It didn't wind up on the internet. Let's put it that way. <laughs> I learned my lesson.
0: Now, would you say you discovered another talent in that drunken episode, or, or did you realize maybe this is not a path to take?
1: That was not a path for me. <laughs> I'm not, I am not a singer, nor should I, nor should I be attempting to be a, a saloon singer at a Hollywood party. It does not work.
0: Can you tell us a little bit about Holly
1: Shorts? Yeah, Holly Shorts is uh, a 17-year-old film festival founded by Theo Dumont. My business partner and, uh, Daniel soul. Um, and, uh, those two guys grew up together in Miami and, uh, had a history of doing events together. And 17 years ago started this film festival went from one day. It's now 11 days. Ordinarily it now has, you know, now has almost 8,000 submissions a year. Um, that is tremendous. Wow. You know, over the last five years, it's been Oscar qualifying. So you have uh, just the creme de la creme of filmmakers submitting. You know, we've had, in the last five years, we've had tons of nominees and winners. So it's also made the alumni of the festival, of, it's, very prestigious, it's a very prestigious group to be in because you are in the company of and or are actually an Oscar nominee or a winner. And a lot of these people have won other awards as well. So it's kind of becoming, you know, as we're moving into year six, it's kind of becoming this uh, crazy little uh, winner's club. It's awesome.
0: That's fantastic. And I'm assuming they could check it out online, right? Holly Shorts?
1: Yes, you can find Holly Shorts. It's at hollyshorts.com. You can find it online. It's a little bit smaller this year because we're hybrid. We're live and online. But that's put us at about 350 in terms of still a lot of shorts. Wow, but they're freaking yeah. amazing.
0: As someone who's running a company that one of your specialties is marketing, have you been able to kind of combat the challenges that that have been in place now with people having shorter attention spans and finding more kind of unique ways to shoehorn advertisements and whatever you're working on?
1: Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of noise. I mean, because now it's the Tower of Babel. Everybody's got their voice. Everybody's got their web pages. Everybody's got their channels. Everybody's got everything. And, you know, these are things that you could have only dreamed of a short time ago. And it's uh, it's amazing and it's great, but it's also put some pressure on, on individuals. I think, um, you know, you've kind of got to manifest all these things to be taken seriously now that nobody necessarily considered to be requirements. Uh, you know, you've got to have a social media footprint as an individual to be, you know, somebody starts looking. I don't see anything. Who are you? I mean, you know, it's it's interesting how that is become has become a prerequisite. I think for younger people that is just sort of natural, uh, you know, for them to just. Live that way, but for people who are over thirty, forty, it's you know, it's it's sometimes a harder learning curve. You know, as far as advertising, I mean, you you wind up having to be, or marketing, I mean, you've got to, you want it being uh, you've got to be much more uh, careful. People aren't susceptible to crap; they want to be met where they actually live. You need to be real about what you're talking about. I think that you know the individual campaigns will vary from from uh project to project, but I think authenticity has really, uh, people demand it, they, they can smell fakery. They can smell it when you're just selling something you don't care about. You've got to just make a virtue of whatever it is you're dealing with and tell the truth and, and say, these are the good parts and eh, that part's not so great. Uh, but you might have fun watching it, you know? So I think, you know, honesty has really become a good thing. It's like, it's kind of leveled, uh, big 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 campaigns we'll get yeah, you know you're full of <laughs> oh, sorry i said that word okay. uh, you're not uh i'm not i'm not buying this uh where sometimes these tiny little humble things can succeed beyond your wildest imagination
0: great insight i really appreciate your time Stephen. you've dropped a, a lot of gems before we let you go what's one piece of advice that you give anybody watching or listening to this for success
1: for success w-o-r-k A-L-L-T-H-E-T-I-M-E. Work all the time. I mean, that's all you can do. Work all the time, but work smart. I mean, know what you're doing. uh, Surround yourself with good, honest people. Um, If someone seems dishonest, they are. Uh, Don't second guess that. Just move on. I think that, you know, honesty and loyalty are qualities that will take you through life.
0: Well, Stephen, I thank you so much for the time. Where can fans find you and your company and everything you got going on online?
1: Uh, Altaglobalmedia.net.